You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name's Christian Corley and with me is Gavin Phillips. How are you, Gavin? Doing well, Christian. Um, I'm aching all over, actually. Oh. I, uh, I took part in a big charity uh, football tournament at the weekend for the uh, for a local charity down here, the Man Down Charity, who support uh, men's mental health. And um, I am still in a lot of pain. <laughs> <laughs> Two days later. <laughs> when you when you said when you started saying that, I was thinking, hang on, were you, were you in the like England versus the rest of the world match? And I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not not quite that good, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but yeah, good good fun. How about yourself? Uh, well, my children have been attending dance competitions over the weekend, so I've basically been a glorified taxi driver because uh, um, dads aren't allowed <laughs> backstage or anything like that. So yeah, just been taxiing up and down the A19. Enjoying the uh, enjoying a nice drive in some nice weather. Uh, We are here to bring you the latest tech news that matters, along with some tips and tricks to help you make better use out of the technology in front of you and around you. Now uh, we um, touched upon this last week, only we were a little bit late (laughs) because something else happened. Uh, So the um, US SEC is suing Binance, and it seems that uh, Coinbase. I'm also heading to court, isn't that right, Gavin? Yes. Uh, so this is they're, they're basically so they they came at Binance and said you've been up to no good behind the scenes. Um, there's all sorts of allegations about transfers from various accounts um, between the Binance's US branch uh, and the branch that the rest of the world use uses. Uh, they're meant to be kept separate to um, comply with SEC laws in the US. Uh, apparently that's not happened so that's the Binance side of it uh the coinbase side of it is is actually quite similar they've also uh, fallen foul allegedly fallen foul of um uh similar trading rules around securities um that there's been impropriety behind the scenes and that um coinbase are basically going to be um going up uh, against the SEC at the same time as Binance so uh it's a very rocky time in the world of crypto and of course all these um court cases have had um a negative effect on the the crypto markets which are volatile at the best of times so following the initial news with binance i think the price of bitcoin dropped around uh 10% then the the coinbase news came out and it uh, hit it again for another 5% or so um it's nowhere near as bad as the FTX bankruptcy which took place towards the end of 2022 and that really sent the whole market into a spiral um currently it doesn't look like it's going to be as bad as that at the current time but that could change overnight if um things get ruled against Binance and Coinbase at the same time because you'd expect there to be some sort of um fine or or yeah. otherwise against these companies it was recovering as well, wasn't it? A couple of weeks ago, the um, the crypto market seemed to be just slowly creeping back up. Yeah, it's um, 
you can never obviously never quite tell with crypto what's well, really no. going to happen. Uh, but you're right. There was some sort of signs that maybe it was just starting to eke up a bit. Bitcoin was sort of starting to test the $30,000 per coin mark again, bouncing off that level quite a lot. So it stuck firmly um, between 20000 30000 um, at the moment. Um, the thought is once it surpasses 30000 it might go on a bit more of a rally as we go into um, the Bitcoin halving year. That's the process where in Bitcoin they uh, half the amount of Bitcoins that are released um, during the mining process. But I think that's maybe something for another podcast. But yeah. um, it basically makes, there's less Bitcoin entering the market and the ecosystem every time um, a transaction is completed, basically. So uh, it helps deflation, which in turn should push the price higher. Now, another thing that we missed last week due to basically how we record and how we publish is um, Apple's Vision Pro augmented reality slash virtual reality headset, which um, offers you the unique chance to pay $3,500 to look like a bit of a prat. Hey, I think some people really want to look like <laughs> Daft Punk whilst they sit in their living room. <laughs> I Oh, I don't. I'm so torn on it. I, the, 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 the technology is obviously very admirable, but it just looks so silly to me. It does in some ways, but I think most VR headsets have... Well, no, I'm not. A little bit of silliness about them, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, whether you're going for a sort of a um, a Google cardboard that you hold to your head, or yeah. <laughs> uh, you know the the more traditional style VR headset that the, um, the, yeah, like the, the HTC Quest and the and Oculus, like yeah, they you know they they look more like the thing, and you know this does look a bit more like a combination of um, Bono and a scuba diver, but at the same time. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just feel it's not, I mean, I, I suppose in some ways, if this isn't what the future of AR slash VR is, then maybe it doesn't have a future, but. I think currently at this price point, it doesn't have a relevant future for most people because no, well, let's yeah. face it, most people aren't going to drop three and a half thousand dollars on Something that, at least for now, has quite niche application. The tech inside it, I think, is actually quite cool. The um, It's got a pair of like 4K micro LED, OLED displays, yeah. which that alone, that is pretty cool to like be able to get that tech into such a small thing and for it to be um, powering itself with uh, one of Apple's M2 chips, which again... It means the tech inside it is going to be good enough that it's as a standalone product. It will deliver a really, really good experience. But again, it falls down on, on the price point. It's just no no one's going to do that for the limited applications that it has. Yeah. it's. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen this, dear listener, it sort of delivers a sort of uh, minority report environment around you. It's obviously it's virtual. No one else can see it unless I suppose they were you know, plugged in similarly and there's some sort of sharing system up there for you. It appears to deliver on promises that maybe uh, Meta were hoping to get towards, but obviously got sidetracked with funny little digital people instead. Mm. Um, but And th those eyes are a bit weird though, aren't they? I was just going to 
come to that, and this is another thing that, listen, you have to go and look at these, these just awfully creepy pictures where in augmented reality mode, it shows your eyes through the headset so that the people around you know that you're actually looking at them and it's it's not a good look. <laughs> no, because they're not really there, are they? No, it's just, it looks like they've been um, superimposed onto it somehow. Oh, I don't know, it's very odd. Very, yeah. very odd. Yeah. So um, no doubt we'll be talking about this more in the future, uh, but it's not due to come out until next year, is it? No, I think early 2024 is the projected date. It may run on, but you know who knows. We'll find out more later in this year, I'd imagine. Now, there are always jobs in the tech world. I mean, my, my first job in tech, speaking personally, was... It was it was, <laughs> it was some time ago. I'm just let me get my head on straight. 2002 was my first proper IT related job, and it was basically it was data entry. There are many jobs that you can get into the tech industry and get a foothold, and then move on into something that you're more specialised in or know a bit more about. But um, there are of course jobs in cryptocurrency and decentralised finance as well. Now this might come as a shock to to many of you. I had no idea there would be ten of them. When I first looked into this, our uh, colleague Katie Reese has compiled a list of 10 jobs in the cryptocurrency and decentralized finance industry in case you're looking for a job. So I'm just going to go through these. Uh, you've got software developer. You've got UI and UX designer. It's user interface, user experience. Um, you know, these first two might seem, well, yeah, it's pretty standard, isn't it, for tech jobs, marketing and promotion. Again, again pretty standard. Then you've got day trading. Cybersecurity engineer, customer service, again, kind of standard, validator or miner, project manager, risk analyst, and blockchain architect. Now, the one that's probably the most interesting sounding, but probably is the dullest, is validator or miner, Gavin. Yeah, so the validator or miner that refers to the people who join a blockchain network and offer up some. Uh, in the case of a miner, they offer up computational power to help solve the complex puzzles that link um, cryptocurrency uh, blockchain blocks together. Uh, and validators are people who um, agree to hold an amount of cryptocurrency in a wallet uh, who are then selected at random to validate transactions on the blockchain network so they're both solving the same problem transactions on a blockchain network have to be verified by everybody on the network basically that's how they reach what's called the consensus so everybody agrees that everything is above board uh there's just two different ways of doing it um and mining is the one that people are um typically um, unhappy about in many ways because it's the one that uses um, extraordinarily large amounts of power uh, so like bitcoin uses more computer um, sorry energy than i think last time i looked it was the countries of argentina and somewhere else put together as a phenomenally large amount of money uh, validators use a different consensus mechanism uh, called basically called proof of stake um, which uses next to no energy whatsoever and um, that's many cryptocurrencies that launch now will use that instead of mining because it's um, at least a little bit more eco-friendly well significantly more eco-friendly is that really a job though well for some people it is so 
especially like the big big mining um companies they have lots of people um looking after all of the machines all working in a single facility um there's lots of places in just like texas has a lot of cryptocurrency mining now um when china banned crypto a few years back a lot of people moved over the border to uh, kazakhstan so kazakhstan has a pretty vibrant mining scene so in these places it's transitioned from what was once something that someone could do on their own um, to something that you actually need a lot of resources to do, which, as we've discussed on this podcast before, sort of goes against the whole reason for cryptocurrency existing as a decentralized platform and it consolidates more and more power in the hands of those that can afford to do it. Okay. So... As you can see, there are plenty of opportunities. Project manager, again, is probably, you know, as with any industry, these familiar sounding jobs are specific to the, the the particular industry itself. But, you know, if you've got transferable skills, you've got transferable skills. So there are opportunities in the cryptocurrency and decentralized finance industry. Uh, but I guess it depends whether or not you think there is a long-term future for those industries, whether or not you get involved. But certainly there's uh, money there to be made we're going to move on to planned obsolescence this is a term you may have heard you know this idea that uh, companies plan for the products that they make whether it's white goods or handheld digital goods or entertainment goods they plan for them to break planned obsolescence or they become uh, they plan for them to one day become obsolete um when I first thought about this, I thought it was a conspiracy theory. Am I th alone in this? I think so, yeah. But the more you read about it, and certainly with some of the court cases that have happened surrounding this, it definitely seems to be something that ex exists, maybe in more areas than we realise as well. Well, perhaps. Uh, the planned obsolescence as a business tactic was apparently first implemented by um, General Motors, in the 1920s to compete with Ford. Uh, there's been talk over the years of things like light bulbs uh, being um, having a uh, the potential to last a lot longer than they actually do. Uh, there's always stories of people having old uh, equipment, old TVs or old fridge freezers that are still running and outliving newer ones. Uh, I was reading someone somewhere who had a fridge from the 1970s that had outlived, you know, several big chest freezers and um, you know, American-style freezers and things. And this this one from the 70s is still running, probably um, a lot longer. It, it is a thing that happens, whether there is a conspiracy theory, air quotes there, or not around it. I think these days there is a certain element of it that is a necessity because of software, isn't there, and uh, developing technology and the fact that a lot of almost all material um, equipment that we use now is you know, silicon um, digital and silicon based that there is going to be there has to be a planned obsolescence element to that because you know a computer for instance from the 1990s can't be expected to run modern software now can it no for sure but i think when people say it, i believe they're talking more about specifically planned issues that would stop something working after a certain period so yeah. 
like with the example of an, an aging computer, you could safely say after 15 years, that's just not going to work properly. But there's no mechanism within it that would cause it to stop working before its time. No. Nope. Whereas with other things that um, some of the things that have been referenced in this in this article, there was like a trigger that stopped it working after a certain period. So the big example that many people refer to is the uh, a 2016 case involving Apple, uh, where people believed that an iOS update was sent to iPhones of a specific model and age um, that would slow down older models and cause an abrupt shutdown. And after that, the phones wouldn't work anymore. Now, <sighs> Apple is known to upgrade phones uh, update iOS, sorry, um, and some phones do get excluded during those upgrades. But this one specifically appeared to target older phones, um, and consequently they paid a $27 million fine, which, um, as the article says, is a negligible fraction of its annual sales. Yeah. But they, they did settle um, to make sure it didn't go any further. Yeah, I mean that that's a good example. I was getting towards the um, the whole thing to do with printers and ink cartridges. Yes, which is uh, another matter entirely. So, uh, for example, printers are designed to stop working when ink cartridges reach a, th- a certain threshold, even though those cartridges are not empty. That's which so is frustrating. Just mental. It's just yeah. so stupid. Uh, so there's a chip built in that commands the device to alert you even if only one of the colours is below the set limit and then you're then forced to get a new cartridge. Now, it used to be the case that you could get around this by sort of like forcing black or whatever. But yeah. e- even that is difficult to do, if not impossible these days. And in modern printers as well, once you start taking them apart <laughs> and trying to tinker with stuff or maybe like you, you add like your own... Um, cartridges to it because sometimes you can get sort of third party cartridges that may not have this uh, chip or trigger inside it but then the printer itself goes no no that's illegal hardware you can't use that anyway so you're forced to then you're forced and locked into their ecosystem that they control and then do bogus behavior like this (laughs) yeah it's hp specifically doing that isn't it they they seem to be the um the uh the outriders on that the the nice thing about that is, uh, number one, it highlights, I think, you know, you look at buying new cartridges and then you look at the price of a new printer and you think, it's cheaper to buy a new printer. And while HP, and, you know, I don't want to get all soapboxy about this, while HP are pushing this particular business practice, which is itself quite immoral, uh, maybe they need to be looking at their whole model of selling printers that are difficult to dispose for less than the cartridges. Because it's insane, really, isn't it? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. In no way should it cost... It shouldn't... Sorry, it shouldn't be easier to buy a new printer than to fill up a cartridge. In no no way should that be the, the case. No. It's like, you know, a more everyday comparison... Although, you know, thinking about recent events, it might not be that far from the case. But I was going to say, buying a new car instead of filling up on petrol or diesel. 
<laughs> yeah, I just got rid of the old one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, actually, I'm a little bit too close to the truth with that. But you know, it's um, you know, things are recovering, and uh, in 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 that regard, but it it does feel like that. You know, oh, I've run out of petrol. What are we going to do? We'll buy a new car. You wouldn't do that. Why would you buy a new printer? And yet, printers are cheaper. Now, I use an Epson, and you can get away with using third-party uh, cartridges with an Epson. But how, for how long? How long is that going to before you know, Epson and Brother and the others follow suit? It's really concerning. So, yeah, it is. Um, and then you've got, like, like you mentioned before, with um, playing with printer parts and maybe repairing them or replacing things. Printers in particular are difficult to do that with. The manufacturers are deliberately, you know, releasing products with expensive or hard-to-repair components or hard-to-replace yeah. components. Now, fortunately, we have the right-to-repair movement, which is uh, kind of combating this. But even so, you know, you get to... You know, we're in this age, you know. What have we got that was predicted from the past? What have we got now? And it seems to be just as much television as we want. Everything else, you know, the moving walkways are sort of limited to airports. We've got no flying <laughs> cars. We've, we, we, we don't live in, you know, super futuristic skyscrapers. We don't, none of, you know, there's no time machines. We don't have personal fusion reactors. None of that stuff's happened. So, and neither has that nice idea of little bits that you just replace and remove when they break. Really easy to do. Hasn't happened. No, things like um, and modular tech is like quite looked down on in many ways, isn't it? As yeah. being something that you could never get the same levels of um, say power, processing capabilities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because of its modular nature. But the reality, in many cases, is the it's probably a it's probably more expensive to develop, so you do have to factor that in. But it's the long term sales and value proposition for companies that don't want to develop it because it would likely harm their bottom line wouldn't it yeah so um you can tackle planned obsolescence you can resist the urge to impulse buy new products easier said than done i know but you can do it uh buy refurbished gadgets instead of brand new ones opt for products that have replaceable parts requires a bit of research but you're up to it buy products out of necessity instead of perceived reputation kind of brings us back to the um, Apple Vision Pro. But anyway, um, buy from companies that advocate and follow sustainability. Choose brands that are transparent about their repair policies. Trade in or sell your old phone instead of throwing it away. And donate old household appliances that you no longer use to someone or some group or somebody or somebody that will use them. Well, we've reached that part of the show where it's time to discuss recommendations. I always uh, struggle to explain the uh, notion of this. It's kind of obvious, really. I don't know why it gives me so much grief. Uh, we, we just share something that we've enjoyed and maybe you'll enjoy it as well. Gavin, do you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. So this last week, uh, I read an article on uh, another website suggesting that everybody go out and buy this game called Halls of Torment which is a sort of RPG, isometric style, 
Um, looks like a very late 90s game. Looks very similar to actually the original Diablo. So that's, you know, Diablo's in the news at the moment yeah. uh, for, for the latest release. And I think that's why this has been picked up. So it's more like, it's sort of like a bullet hell rogue-like uh, <laughs> sort of dungeon crawlery type game. You fight hordes and hordes of various uh, beasts that come into the, um, come in to try and attack you. There's a pretty decent um, skill tree system. There's, uh, there's loads of unique characters and bosses. Um, uh, seven different playable characters. Uh, and the game is currently in early development still, early access on Steam. So uh, it cost me £4.29. I guess that's probably about five Ooh, bucks good. for US. Yeah, it's really good for five bucks. It's going to get loads more content as well. Um, obviously, suggesting an early access game, you never know quite how it's going to end up. But at the moment, it's a really, really solid experience. Um, it's Somewhat similar to Vampire Survivors, which I've suggested on this show before. It's that sort of, you know, hordes and, and waves of, of enemies. Um, but it's not quite as... Um, some of the um, attacks and stuff in Vampire Survivors are quite, like, fanciful. Like, there's a there's a King James Bible that spins around you very, very fast. <laughs> okay. Um, and that sort of stuff. This is much more like bows and arrows and um, proper spells and, and, and wizards and that and that sort of stuff. So overall, I've, I think I've done like four hours so far, which isn't a great deal in the grand scheme of things, but the four hours I have put into it, just really, really good, good fun. So that's um, that's Halls of Torment. Uh, it's available on Steam Early Access. Excellent. Okay, mine is Tetris the Movie. Oh, okay. Which is uh, screening on Apple TV at the moment, which, you know, they offer a free trial if you, uh, you know, I, I don't, do they still do the Apple TV hardware? I don't know, but you can get Apple TV through pretty much any uh, streaming service or stick or whatever. So uh, it stars Taron Egerton as Hank Rogers, the man who spotted Tetris's potential and fought to bring it to the biggest platforms in the 1980s and spends a sizable time in late 1980s communist Moscow, which is very grey and wet and, you know, it's, it's a place that's basically falling apart in in all manner of the phrase. It's a really good film. I was surprised at actually, you know, how good it is. When I first heard that there was a Tetris movie, I was thinking, how are they going to do a sort of Sonic the Hedgehog take on that? But of course, they haven't done that. It's not about that at all. Um, <laughs> it's about the game and essentially getting it and its creator out of the Soviet Union. So you've got uh, Toby Jones, who, you know, he's in everything as Robert Stein, who's a man who claimed to have the worldwide license for Tetris, but it turned out um, he'd licensed it from Elog, which is a, uh, a state computer company. He claimed to have a worldwide license for the game on all platforms, but he basically had a worldwide license for it on a specific type of computer. You've got Robert Maxwell, who in the UK was a media baron. He owned uh, Mirasoft. He's the father of someone who's in the news at the moment. He's on trial in the US. And he's played by Roger Allen. Roger Allen's excellent in it. Uh, you've also got an appearance by um, Matthew Marsh's Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, it, you know, it takes in the whole sort of, you know, and Ben Miles is in it as well. But, you know, it takes in that whole sort of element of, you know, late Soviet Union, uh, a society crumbling. You've got Nintendo in there as well. You've got KGB agents. It's really good fun as well, really. Basically, for it, a game that's about a man who made a game. A film about a man who made a video game that 
lots of people found by mistake, essentially. And, um, yeah, it's just fun. It's good. It, it mixes. Sounds- it mixes so many different ideas. I was going to say, it sounds more like a thriller yeah, than it essentially uh, is. an outright video game film. It is. It's a, it's a Soviet spy thriller, almost. It's good fun. Nice. Yeah, I'd recommend it highly. I enjoyed it a lot. Very good. Did you, did you say that was on um, Apple, Apple TV? Apple, Apple yeah. TV. Ah, give that, give that yeah, a go. Yeah, definitely. It's good. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Everything we've discussed you'll find in the show notes, including a link to uh, Tetris the movie. And uh, if there's anything that you think that we can uh, help you out with or we should discuss for a later podcast, uh, you'll find our Twitter uh, handles at the bottom there or you can message us through Make Use Of's Facebook feed or email us at Make Use Of as well. If anything in the show has proved useful to you or you think it will be useful to someone you know, uh, share it with them. And if you have time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us.